0: Well, we're going to continue our series through the book of Lamentations. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Lamentations chapter 4, Lamentations chapter 4. And as we think through that uh, this morning, we continue really with the last two chapters. Next week we'll look at chapter 5, God willing. And uh, just prayerful that you have been able to glean some something helpful and good from a book that's pretty well neglected and quite dark, Uh, but yet uh, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's truth for our souls to benefit us even today, even though this was speaking into a very unique and particular context. Uh, These laments uh, through uh, the destruction, because of the destruction of Jerusalem, I think serve us even today in ways that perhaps we would not anticipate or expect. So we're going to look at chapter four this morning. Uh, I want to read the passage and then uh, ask the Lord to help us understand it uh, and guide us through it, and we'll continue our way through chapter 4. Let me read Lamentations chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold has changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious st- sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots. The work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by lack of fruits from the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger, and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe nor any of the inhabitants of the world. That, the foe, "'that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. "'This was for the sins of her prophets, "'the iniquities of her priest, "'who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. "'They wandered blind through the streets. "'They were so defiled with blood "'that no one was able to touch their garments. "'Away, unclean,' people cried to them. "'Away, away, do not touch.' "'So they became fugitives and wanderers, "'people said among the nations. "'They shall stay with us no longer.' The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, Under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz, but to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer, but your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, He will punish. He will uncover your sins. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, as difficult and dark as it seems, I pray that you would help us find uh, truth in it, that you would teach us from it. We ask now for the help of your Holy Spirit to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. As I think about uh, conflict or tension, I'm one of those people that like to resolve tension quickly. Uh, I'm not one who likes to linger in conflict. If there's uh, reconciliation that needs to take place or if there's some kind of resolution that needs to be pursued, I'm one that wants to find it fast uh, and, and mend things as quickly as possible. Uh, I know some people like to kind of sit in that for a while, but I'm one of those, again, that uh, I, I'm not one uh, who likes tension uh, or, or, or things to linger very long. Uh, well, when you think about that, I think books like Lamentations are good for people like me uh, because Lamentations does not resolve the tension quickly when it comes to all that we see here in this book. In fact, it lingers. This lament goes on for five chapters. Uh, It just continues. Even when you find hope in the midst of the the middle of chapter three, uh, there's still this lingering of lament Uh, In fact, we find that in chapter four as we go on into it. In chapter three, we do hit the high mark of the book. As the writer does turn the corner from all the devastation that has been described and has been experienced, and he calls to mind the character of God and therefore finds hope. And you see that in chapter three, verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Uh, He fights to remember the truth of who God is, the character of who God is, and because of that, is able to find hope. It takes three and a half chapters to get there. This gut-wrenching pain, this hurt, this sorrow, this pain that he's experiencing, but he does find the source of hope again. But now in chapter four, we go right back to the horrors of lament. The lament is not finished. It is not over. And even when we're able, think about that in our own lives, when when we're able to see the source of our hope, and trust in the midst of a devastating situation or circumstance, even when we're able to cling to the anchor of our souls, the Lord himself, it doesn't always mean the dark clouds will immediately be lifted. They may linger yet on and on, even after we have found our source of hope. In chapter 4, the writer goes right back to the horrors of the moment. Uh, We see that the the, the graphic description of what takes place specifically during the siege of Jerusalem. The Babylonians came and they sieged the city. They, they basically locked up the, the walls and, and just let the people almost starve to death. Many of them did. You can read more about that uh, specifically in the historical accounts there uh, earlier in the Old Testament. Uh, but chapter 4 is a very dark, quite graphic description of what takes place. One of the things that we we find in, in Lamentations is that in the midst of this judgment for the sins of the people, in the midst of this description of what took place, the devastation that that the people endured, one of the things that we find God doing is God is is ba- he certainly is bringing judgment to bear upon the people for their long uh, list of sins and their 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 years and years of unrepentant. Uh, uh, response to their sins even after all the prophets had come to them but one of the things we find God doing in the midst of this judgment is not only was it an act of discipline against uh, upon his people God is using this act of discipline for their good he's stripping away uh, all of these idols and he's stripping the people bare so that they would no longer cling to anything else but him as painful as all of this was this would be the result Uh, These were his people, and this would be the end result that they would no longer cling to the things that they once were clinging to. So as we walk through chapter four this morning, I want us to see the extent of Jerusalem's demise, and towards the end, we're we're just going to go to walk through the chapter together this morning uh, and see just four observations through it, and then towards the end, I want us to to consider several idols that I think you see uh, here that God will often uh, strip away from his people so that they would see him as their only, as the only true source of hope uh, and confidence. And so let's do that this morning together. Let's begin considering uh, four observations that we walk through uh, in this chapter. Number one, uh, in the first eleven verses, we're going to see a destroyed society, a destroyed, a devastated society. I mean, this society is all but gone. Chapter four brings us sharply back into the horrible reality of Jerusalem's uh, destruction, devastation. It's a city that has endured total destruction, and one in which its people are even now living in subhuman degradation. Previously, we see in the previous chapters, there's focus on the leveling of the city's structures physically. But now in chapter 4, he begins to zero in on the leveling leveling of the people uh, themselves. Uh, One writer, Christopher Wright, said the entire community from top to bottom, from the elders to the infants, from the king in his palace to the mother in her kitchen, has been turned upside down and shaken out and left shattered and scattered like trash littering the streets. And that's exactly what you find in these first 11 verses. In verses 1 and 2, you see how the gold has turned to clay. In verses 3 and 4, how the children in the streets have been left to starve, no one giving them food. In verses 5 through 6, the wealthy are forced to scavenge. In verses 7 through 9, the healthy are now skin and bone as hunger has ultimately taken its toil, toil upon them. And then in verse 10, perhaps one of the worst, most horrific verses in the book, in fact, maybe in the Bible, you see that these compassionate mothers have now even turned into cannibals, eating their own children. There's not one person, was left unimpacted by this devastation. They're thinking about things in terms of our day and time. There was no amount of quarantine or social distancing that could have saved you from the impact of Jerusalem's devastation. It was total. Every person impacted to some degree, and it was horrible. In fact, verse 9 tells us that it was so bad that it would have been better to die in battle by the sword than to continue living amidst the devastation of Jerusalem. So you see in the midst of these first 11 verses, just an, an obliterated society, the, the, the culture of the day, the society of the day was destroyed completely. But then you move on to verse 12 through 16, and you see not only was the, the society destroyed, and, you, and you, just the graphic nature of that description in the first 11 verses, in verses 12 through 16, you see how the leadership was humiliated. Uh, In verse 11, it says that the Lord had given full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger, and he kindled a fire in Zion and consumed its foundations. It's really a good description of what happened in the first 10 verses. Uh, The Lord's wrath had been fully unleashed upon his people in disciplining them. And in verse 12, you see the shock of the surrounding nations. The kings even couldn't believe, and the surrounding nations could not believe that this happened to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But then you get to verse 13. and we see a major source of Jerusalem's downfall. It was the sins of the prophets and priests that had led to the people's demise. Now certainly they were responsible to themselves. but a large part of this, um, a large part of this, uh, was the uh, fact that the spiritual leaders had failed the people. Israel's leaders had led the people astray for a long time, and now they were paying the price not just the people, but even the leaders themselves, we see their humiliation expressed in verses 14 through 16. Notice this is describing the, the prophets and the priests. It says they wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood. Some say they, they physically murdered people. Others were just saying that, that the blood, blood was on their hands because of their own failures. They were so defiled with blood that that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. These priests and prophets, these esteemed leaders in Israel, now were fugitives. People uh, wanting away from them. The Lord himself had scattered them, verse 16 says. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priest and no favor to the elders may seem even when you walk through passages like this and you see that the judgment that's leveled even now against the, the priest and elders you may you may ask the question from time to time whether it's the elders of the priests or just the people in general you may say well wasn't there room for repentance and forgiveness here i mean could god not have just given them an opportunity to to to, to confess their sin and to repent and and the que- the answer to that is certainly but they refused jeremiah himself had pleaded with many of these priests and prophets for some 40 years, 40 years of pleading to repent and change, and they refused to change. And as a result, they were now paying the price. These spiritual leaders were complicit in the downfall of Jerusalem. Not only the the spiritual leaders, but even if you jump down to verse 20, the king himself uh, was taken captive. You can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 39. It's quite a, a terrible scene. As uh, as the king is is taken, let me just read that real quick. In Jeremiah thirty nine verse five, we read about the fall of, of fall of Jerusalem. It says, "But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them, and overtook Zedekiah the king in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Ribla, in the land of Hamath. And he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes." And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. And it goes on there. But you can even begin to see how the king, the very last thing he physically saw with his eyes was the murder of his own children and then gouged out his eyes and taken into captivity. So again, just the leadership from from the king to the priests to the elders, to the prophets were all humiliated. They, they had no power to, to endure this, to, to respond to this. And I think it's a good word and warning to those who are in any kind of leadership, specifically spiritual leadership. I think this scene shows us just how far a leader can fall and how spiritual apathy can bring about such terrible consequences, especially over a long period of time. Spiritual leaders need to be vigilant and grounded in the truth. I think one of the things you take away from this is that the downfall of Jerusalem was largely the result of failed leadership, of, cling, of of leaders taking the truth seriously and shepherding the people in it. Uh, it it's something that we need to, to keep in mind today. Um, you, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of churches uh, need, need to hear this, ours included, I think, is that we don't need clever and creative leaders. We need convictional leaders. And that's something that I think that it's so helpful for us when we think about the church. You know, the church is always looking for this fad and this thing and how clever, how creative can we get? Well, friends, first and foremost, we need to be convictional. We need to be a people of the truth and we need to listen to the truth. And whenever leaders are moving away from that truth, this is where we get into trouble. This is where we get into danger, and one of the things that Lamentations, I think, mourns, rightfully so, is the erosion of spiritual leadership, spiritual authority, uh, as the spiritual leaders abandoned uh, the covenant, abandoned the, the truth of God's word to go off chasing idols and to care for themselves. So you see their humiliation here in verses 12 through 16, as they failed miserably the people of God and so just keeping in mind uh, one of the ways that you can w- serve your church faithfully is to pray for your leaders pray for your elders pray for your home group leaders pray for those who are in authority over you pray for those who are seeking to just shepherd you in other ways uh, one of the things that we could be praying effectively for uh, uh, the kingdom of God is is that that the truth would continue to be the foundation of who we are and when we begin to err and, ast- and go astray from that truth we begin to find ourselves in very difficult times 40 years 40 years the prophets had warned and spoke uh, to these uh, leaders and yet there was no change and you see their humiliation here in full not only do you see the humiliation of the leaders not only do you see a destroyed society you see an abandoned nation in verses 17 through 21 uh, Israel realized the inevitable Uh, as the Babylonians pressed in they looked to their surrounding neighbors for help I mean that's what any nation would do right you, You begin to be attacked. You're looking for allies. You're looking for help. Some other nation come help us. And the text tells us no help came. Look at verse 17. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. As they scanned the horizon, waiting for some army to come to their aid, no army came. No help arrived. And so you know you just you must feel the utter hopelessness they must have felt at this time. Um, their spiritual leaders gone, humiliated. Their national leader taken captive. Uh, and now no one from the surrounding nations was there to help them. It was completely over. I mean that was a helpless place to be. Their their last source of hope uh, in in someone else was gone. Friends, I know that that's a hard place to be. I know we're uh, as we seek to apply the book of Lamentations, uh, it, it's, it can be difficult because we're dealing with the people of God uh, under the old covenant in the Old Testament, and we can't apply that directly to the United States of America. That just doesn't work uh, as we think about our, our Bibles and how the old covenant, new covenant works. But as the people of God today, uh, we can at least learn principles and lessons from these things of the past. And we think about that. This, it's a hard place to be when, when we realize there is absolutely nothing that can be done, no help available for any particular trial that we're in. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you're just, you're sitting there just feeling the helplessness around you, that there's no other, there's no option, there's no help that's going to come to your aid, and you just feel the, the weight and the loneliness of that, of that moment of just feeling completely, completely and entirely helpless, uh, the pain of war. The pain of destruction and the pain of hunger were surely enough, and now they're feeling the abandonment of the other nations around them. There was no, no, no people trying to, to bring food supplies into Israel, none. And we see disasters happen in the world today, and there's large efforts often made, Southern Baptists being a, a group that will often mobilize to help feed and help bring relief to people in hurting situations. There was none of that for Jerusalem, none of that for Israel today at, at, or back in that day. Uh, even Edom, Edom is mentioned, uh, verse 21, uh, Edom, uh, their neighbors to the south, they wouldn't come to their aid either. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, Jacob and Esau, remember the two brothers, and there had been centuries of conflict between these two nations, Israel and, and Edom, but not only would Edom not help, they gloated over Jerusalem's downfall. In fact, if you go to the book of Psalms, turn with me. To Psalm one thirty seven, Psalm one thirty seven. Actually, Psalm one thirty seven is a psalm of laments, psalm of laments, from the Babylonian captivity. So now the people are in Babylon, taken captive, and this is a psalm that comes out of that period of time. Notice the reference to the Edomites here. Let me just—it's it's brief. Let me just read it. Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. The response, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not remember, if I, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joys. Now look at verse seven. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, "Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations." O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with all with what you have done to us. Blessed, uh, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. You go back to verse seven, though, how the Edomites were not only not coming to the help of Jerusalem, they were saying, Babylon, take them out, lay it bare. We're going to be happy. The the, wor- the the more devastation that you can cause, uh, the happier we'll be. So they, they were just rejoicing in their devastation. In verse 21 is just a reminder uh, that as Israel, as the, as the people of God were, were lamenting this, it says, rejoice and be glad, O daughter of of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Us, but to you also shall the cup uh, also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. So there's this even prophecy and and prayer or lament even that, that Edom would bear the consequences of their own sin against against Israel. But you again you see the the the, the abandonment of the of these people. Um, God's verse 11: the full vent of his wrath had had come upon them. Uh, And there was total devastation. Their society was destroyed. Their leaders were humiliated. Their neighbors would not come to their help. Complete isolation, complete devastation. And there they were. But one of the things that we find in chapter four that's different than the darkness of chapters one and two is in this time, there is a glimmer of hope. As dark and as difficult as chapter four is to read, There is a glimmer of hope here. There's a glimmer of hope there at the end in verse 22. It says this, The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. Or better, he will not prolong your exile. Or he will not exile you again. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish and he will uncover your sins. So there you see the reference again to Edom. But right there in verse 22, you see this glimmer of hope. The dark chapter ends with a word of God's faithfulness. Jerusalem's woes had reached the depth of the, I mean, had, had reached the worst of the worst. Um, I guess using terminology we've come to learn in the last few weeks is that the curve of their judgment was beginning to flatten as things could not get any worse for them at this moment. The recognition that the flood of God's anger against their sin had now passed. The dust could begin to settle, and they could now at least, difficult as it may be, they could at least look somewhat towards the future. They still had 70 years of exile ahead of them. Things would not drastically change just yet, but there was still hope. He would keep you in exile no longer. He will not prolong your exile. It will be just as he said, 70 years. One day they would return. So, as dark as things had grown, there was this glimmer of hope, this glimmer of light. God's promises would to them would remain firm. As devastating and as difficult and as horrific as the judgment had been, God was still being faithful to His promise, saying that there's an end to this punishment. There's an end to this to to this discipline. And friend, that's just a good reminder for us as we think about the discipline, the judgment of God against sin, for his people, there's a limit to that. As bad as this was, it's coming to an end. It's accomplished. He's not going to to extend it any longer. But friends, as you think about just who we are today, if you're you're watching this and and you're not a Christian, there's coming a day when God's judgment will be unleashed upon unbelievers and there will be no end to that judgment. There will be no end to that devastation. There will be no end. It will be eternal, everlasting separation from God. There's not going to be a time for unbelievers when when, when all is said and done, where God will say, okay, your, your iniquity is accomplished. You can now come into to heaven. This separation that's going to happen at the end is a permanent, eternal separation. And to be part of the people of God means that we must look to God's provision, that, that God who is holy has every right to judge us as his creation he has every right to judge us because we've rebelled against him that we have fallen short of his glory we've sinned against him and yet in his kindness and grace he has provided salvation and redemption for us by sending his one and only son into the world that through jesus who lived a life of perfection and and honor and respect died upon the cross for sin bore the wrath he he bore the full wrath of god's judgment against us on the cross so that those who look to him would not have to endure such danger of judgment and wrath, but rather would be welcomed and accepted into to, to heaven forever, that adopted as God's children. But those who don't, those who remain in their sin, those who haven't yet yielded by faith to Jesus. They have a devastation that's far worse than anything you can imagine in Lamentations, and it's eternally uh, it's an eternal reality. So, friend. I would encourage you, if you've not trusted in Christ, put your hope in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save you from such danger. There is hope amidst all of the darkness and devastation this world offers and provides and, and we experience. There's hope in Christ. Friends, this is a word of hope to the hopeless. Lamentations helps us. You may, you may often wonder in your life why things have happened the way they have. I think all of us ask those kinds of questions. Some of you ask them uh more often. Uh, You may have wondered from time to time if your life was supposed to be different. But in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the the devastation that we often feel, God will remind us where our true source of hope and sufficiency ought to be. And even when you're enduring a raging storm, you can know that the promises of God remain true. You can look to books like Lamentations. As dark and as horrible of, of a reality they experienced, there was still promise. There was still hope. There was still kindness of God upon their lives. His mercies are new every morning. Friends, one of the things we should remember is that God will keep his word to you, even when you find yourself at the bottom, even when you find yourself in the darkest of dark places. Mark Verogrip, uh, again, from his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, said, Brokenness... Brokenness that leads us to see God again is not wasted. Pain that leads you to trust God alone is not pointless. The key, however, is whether or not we can embrace the brokenness that God brings because it brings us something better, namely God himself. Friends, we need to be reminded of truth like that. Brokenness and pain and and even devastation in our lives is, is never wasted. It's never pointless it's, it's often showing us where our true source of hope ought to rest, and that is in the Lord himself. One of the things that we see is that hardship and brokenness and devastation in our lives often reveals idols in our hearts. Israel had many idols, uh, ones that they truly worshipped as an active worship, and other idols that they worshipped as they prioritized them uh, over the Lord. And I think many of those idols we see even exposed here in Lamentations. I think These are often idols we struggle with. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Pastor Tim Keller defines an idol as anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, anything you seek to give you only what God can give. Devastation will, hardship will often expose these idols. I just want us to see a couple of these in in this text, uh, at least implied here. Um, I don't think this is the main point of this passage, but I think this is some helpful principles that we can draw from this. As you see uh, what the Lord is doing to Israel, as he as he strips them bare, uh, as he as he strips them bare. In fact, in some ways, he, it's almost an answer to the Edomites' prayer: "Lay it bare, lay it bare." Well, that's exactly what God did. Uh, and as he does that, he is he is teaching them something very important about the nature of their own hearts several idols that i think can often be exposed in difficult times whether it's israel whether it's our lives today here's here's a few first of all we see the idol of financial security the idol of financial security if you go back to verse one notice the text it says how the gold has grown dim how the pure gold has changed there's reference to gold the, the, the wealth of Israel made a statement to those around them. I mean, it was it was something about the glory of Israel. They were, uh, at, at one time, a very wealthy and thriving nation. Many of them had come to put their hope in that. Uh, their glory, uh, their, their glory, and oftentimes they, uh, it would be, have been their financial glory uh, or their wealthiness. Uh, they had come to put a lot of hope in. And, and you think about wealth. Wealth provides a sense of security, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it's true for all of us. You think about your bank account right now, when I just say your bank account, some of you feel comfortable, some of you don't feel so comfortable right now. I think it's true. When, When our wealth and financial securities are threatened, our reaction to that reveals a lot about us, a lot about the idols, even in our own hearts. The recent stock market plunge, impacting retirement accounts, can often lead us to lament these losses in a way that is not healthy and it exposes the reality of where our hearts are resting what they're resting in money is a common idol that can be seen in our reaction to losing it or how we hoard it not desiring to be generous you know we just keep it for ourselves or or we lose it and we and we panic as if it's our hope as part of bringing Israel to her knees, the idol of wealth, I believe, was exposed in their own lives. And friends, let's be reminded of that reality today. When pain, when you're, you're pressed, many times idols are revealed, and sometimes the idol of financial security can be one such idol. We also see the idol of human leadership. The idol of human leadership. The spiritual leaders in Israel were those who people would often look up to and listen to. But they were humiliated they were brought down even the king as we said earlier was captured none of the surrounding nations would help i think a common idol that we have uh, that we often have is putting too much hope and too much trust in people every person every leader spiritual or government has his or her limits Lamentations reminds us that putting too much hope in, human peop- in humanity and human leaders, uh, or whoever, not just leaders, just people, um, can be an issue for us. Friends, our ultimate source of hope and security should never come from a fellow man, it should never come from a leader, it should never come from a ruler, it should never come from any kind of, of, of spiritual authority in your life. Your, your hope's not resting in them. Our hope is not at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, praise God. It's not at the Capitol. It's not in local government. As important as these are, as important as as they are, we need to be praying for them, for wisdom and for guidance. Friends, our hope is ultimately in the Lord. I think oftentimes we can put too much focus in our friends, our spouse, or someone we're close to, or human leaders. And when they're removed from us, what do we have left? excessive dependence upon others can be an idol. I think you see that as Israel vainly scans the horizon for help. They're just looking to anyone to come help them. And they're looking at the wrong place. They should have looked upward, not outward. And that's what we find is that oftentimes we can idolize others to the point of unhealthy, in, in unhealthy ways. You also see the idol of cultural comforts idol of cultural comforts. Chapter 4 is a hard chapter to read. It's dark. It's shocking. It's graphic. But its point is to show us the complete unraveling of a society, of the social fabric of the city. The judgment of God impacted even how people treated each other. Compassion was gone. Cultural norms were no more. Even the most basic of relationships distorted. It was as if every man live for himself. Lamentations, what it does is it removes all the insulation and it mourns the reality of just how broken a community can become because of its own sin. It pushes us to mourn the loss of good and godly norms that we should feel broken over when when they're no longer around. I mean, mothers boiling their babies for food is one of the most horrific things I can think of. That's not what God intended. That's not normal. Lamentations pushes us to lament horrible realities such as these. Friends, you just think about our own culture today. The more comfort we have, I think, removes us further and further away from the degradation of communities and societies. I'm not saying it's wrong to have certain comforts. It's wrong to put too much hope in those comforts and to allow those comforts to insulate you from other social evils that are happening happening around us. The more insulated we are from these social ills, the more blind we will remain to them. There's so much that's lamentable in our society today because of sin and the things that point to the, the downgrade of our own culture. We live in a day, I think even things like, things I'm thinking about, have even been magnified during this pandemic abortion clinics demanding to be seen as essential services the hatred and vile attacks of our asian american friends or our asian neighbors the spike in pornography use because of isolation all of these things have been magnified through this pandemic and there's so much to be lamentable in our culture these are just about a few examples but you get the point of of Cultural comforts can often insulate us from seeing the, the evil things around us. And when those insulations are removed and you just begin to, begin, you, you begin to see clearly the, the magnitude of just how corrupt and evil a society can truly be, let's, let's, let's rejoice that we don't live in a devastated Jerusalem, but we do live in Babylonian captivity, if we could use that terminology. We do live in a day when we're not home. Uh, we're, we're not home. We're far from home. But praise God, there, there's coming a day when we will get home. But in the midst of that, we, we look around and we see just the, the, the devastation, the shock of social evil that's around us. The idol of cultural comfort often removes us from that. And so let's not grow too comfortable so that we don't see the suffering of others around us. And then number four, the idol of spiritual status Israel was the chosen nation. They were the chosen people of God. They were God's special possession. Bible talks about that, unashamedly so. And they knew it. Yet they presumed upon this favored position as if nothing could ever bring them down. It's as if they thought they deserved what they had. But one of the great lessons of Lamentations is that this prized possession of God, the city of Jerusalem, the center point of all of this this covenant activity was gone, destroyed, devastated, disciplined. Not even Israel was exempt from God's anger against sin. As Lamentations reminds us that we are not exempt from pain, from hardships, from brokenness in this life, even as God's people. Even as God's people, we will endure difficulty whether it's due to our own sin whether it's due to the sins of people around us or just due to the fact that we live in a broken and fallen world we are not exempt from that we will too feel the weight and pain and burden of brokenness and devastation in our world the broken the reality of sin and so we should not just presume that because we're a believer that we will somehow be exempt from all of these things not so it's the idol of spiritual status let's not put too much stock. that let's rejoice that we've been saved and great and given grace let's rejoice in that but let's not presume upon it as if it's some free ticket out of pain you know the book of lamentations if we're honest it pushes us it does it pushes us it can be hard to read these few chapters but i think it pushes us in a healthy way it doesn't resolve the tension so fast Tension is good, I think, because there's much that we can learn from it. And one of the main takeaways from the tension we find in chapter four is that sometimes in the pain of brokenness, in the pain of devastation, God helps us see things we would never see otherwise. As he removes the insulation, as he removes, as he lays us bare, we begin to see the idols of our own heart. We begin to see that our hope ultimately should not rest in man, it should be in the Lord. And that is a good thing. Lamentations teaches us well, teaches us that God is willing to do whatever it takes for his own people, that we would see him as our true hope and our true need. So friends, let's be reminded of that, that even when we're in dark times, God is not wasting those moments. It's not pointless. It's pointing us to the one we should see all along. Let's keep that in mind. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for... Helping us understand, even in the midst of a very dark and difficult chapter of your word, Lord, thank you for helping us understand what it is you're ultimately doing. Father, you are working all things for our good, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, you are often at work in ways that we would not want, that we would not expect, that we would not desire. And yet, Lord, nothing that we face in this life, no amount of pain or brokenness or difficulty or tragedy or trial or sorrow is wasted. So, Lord, as we think through just what you're doing here in Lamentations, as we think through the people of God and their response, God, would you help us see that you are at work? You've not truly abandoned, that you'll never leave us, nor will you forsake us. So, Lord, as we... Continue on in this last chapter in the week ahead of Lamentations. Just, again, continue to teach us that you do love us and that you're faithful to your promises. And yet, Lord, you're not willing us for us to persist in our wayward uh, ways, and our sin. But God, you'll do whatever it takes to help us see you for who you truly are, that we may walk with you in faith and with joy. Father, thank you so much for this time that we could spend together in your word this morning. Would you encourage your people? Would you lead them, Father? During these difficult days of our own, would you help us to cling tightly to you and to look nowhere else but to the Lord? We pray this in Jesus' name.